else is a very special deal. Right now, our large specialty pizzas are just $9.99 each. Get a cheese lover's pizza, smothered in... What's that? Look high above your head. It is the wheel of scares. And you are an unwitting guest of the scare fair. Ten years ago, Halloween, evil had a shape. Terror had a night. And now he's back. I'm thirsty. And you? I'm thirsty too. I'd like some water. Well, what would you like? Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, rated R. Starts Friday, October 21st. Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm, I'm one, one of your hosts, Corey, and with me I've got Liam. You do, hello. And the ghost of Peter Vincent. Just kidding. It's Mitch. Uh, good evening. I'm Hunt Vampires. It's pretty convincing. Honestly, the only thing that you're missing, and I fully believe you will own this someday, is that kind of like cloak thing that oh, he yeah, has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know the one. Like sort the, of like a the frock. Like the, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Like a own. Sherlock Holmesian frock. <laughs> one day, my dear, Watson, one day. I think that Liam should name a song called My Sherlock Holmesian Frock. Uh, it's it's possible that I already have a song that fits that, considering I don't know what a frock is. I might have written a song about a frock. You could just call a song like Frockin' Out. Well, frock, <laughs> frock is just like rock. It's like frog rock. It's kind of like prog rock, but it's mostly just by frogs. Oh, and it's sort of like kraut rock, but it's less <laughs> German and more about frogs. Yeah, that, well, that's my genre. With those jokes finished, uh, if you've managed to not change the channel, uh, we are here to talk about uh, the definition, I think, of like a weird sleeper sequel uh, that I feel like nobody ever gets to because it's the kind of movie that has a bootleg on YouTube that you can just watch for free and nobody who owns the rights to any of this has ever bothered to take it down. And I think that's kind of beautiful. We're here to talk about Fright Night Part 2 from 1988, not to be confused with um, Fright Night 2 from like 2013 or whatever the new one is with like more of like the it was twilight we're doing vampires again my voice cracked a lot there let's just ignore that keep doing the podcast that sounds like a good idea so we're here to talk about fright night which means we're here to talk about vampires and so that's my first question to you both um i'll I'll let whoever uh has the moment take them in their heart go first do you guys like vampires I uh I don't like vampires any uh, you know what actually I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to come at this from a different angle whatever I was just saying is wrong. I like vampires more than I did our last vampire episode with Mitch when we did Dracula. We okay. we did a we did a bit of vampire talk there and I believe I said that I'm not super into vampires and if I didn't say that I was uh, I was probably lying. Um, I'm not super <laughs> I'm not super into vampires. I prefer werewolves when it comes to the classic movie monsters. But even then, I'm not much of a classic movie monster guy. I mean, I've never seen really any of those Universal monster movies. Um, I grew up on 
a lot more like gritty, realistic horror. And it's only in recent years that I've really been going back and, and checking out stuff from the 80s that like might be a bit campier and fall into those different sorts of subgenres. Like even my favorite vampire movies, Let the Right One In, and that's like a rather realistic, like rather grounded uh, romantic drama movie, basically. Like I haven't seen the lost boys um hadn't seen dracula before we watched that um but i i say that i'm into vampires more than i was last time because i did a double feature of fright night and fright night part two and i tell you what now i'm kind of on a vampire kick right now i want to watch the lost boys real soon Um, i'm feeling the vampire lore you of all people have not seen the lost boys (laughs) It's weird, isn't it? I guess it's just honestly, it's probably just the vampire thing. If it's we put like, you in wardrobe or a period accurate wardrobe, you would look like you were supposed to be in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great compliment. Yeah, it must just be it must just be the vampire thing. Uh, I just never checked that one out, and so um, Dracula I, never roller skates. Well, I, I know about as much about vampires as the next guy. And the next guy in this case is Mitch. So let's see how much. Yeah. Has, has your thoughts on vampires changed at all since we checked out Francis Ford Coppola's Copulous Bram Stoker's Dracula? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I mean, my, my opinions on, on, on vampires haven't really changed. But I mean, you know, not all vampire movies are created equal. Not all, not all vampires are depicted in the way that I would necessarily like. People, you know explore that sort of genre in different ways and i i i typically i i I like vampire films and vampire media like i love like the vampire bloodlines video game like the masquerade of course um fantastic game i love actually i recently rewatched uh like salem's lot like the made for tv movie from like the 70s it's like a stephen king story and I thought that that was a really uh, excellent sort of depiction of vampirism. And I love the old sort of silent um, works like um, like Nosferatu by F.W. Murnau or, you know, I like all the all like the classic vampire stuff. I don't really like a lot of the newer vampire stuff. I could kind of get down behind jokey vampires here, but we'll uh, we'll we'll get into it. I like yeah. vampire media, generally speaking. Yeah, it's campy vampires. Campires. Campires. I, I, I should also mention, in the vein of campires and regular vampires, I can't believe I didn't mention this, <laughs> but despite me not being that into vampires as a concept, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is one of my all-time favorite shows, so I don't know where that puts me, but uh, even then, what what keeps me coming back to Buffy is just like the teen dynamic like coming of age characters and stuff i've said it all before but um buffy could slay something else and you'd still like it exactly and she does there's a lot of episodes where it's like monster of the week type thing it's not always a vampire so uh yeah that's that nice i think vampires are pretty cool um i agree that like you know not all vampire presentations as mitch said are created equal or are done in a way that i think is interesting but i think I think, like, in terms of having a good time, a lot of, like, 80s dumb vampire bullshit tends to hit a sweet spot. Um, I struggle to take vampire-based stories super-duper seriously, so I'm not super interested in, like, a gritty, like, we're doing vampire shit 
kind of framing. So uh, I think we're probably closer to the sweet spot for me. With campires. With, uh, with campires uh, and Fright Night Part 2. Um, Fright Night is a series that I first came to hear about uh, when the remake starring Anton Yelchin and Colin Farrell oh, came out. And McLovin. And McLovin. Uh, I never saw that movie. I just remember it coming out. And for some reason, I think at my the house I grew up in, I think we have it on DVD, but I definitely haven't seen it. Um, but I just know about that movie, uh, mostly because Anton Yelchin is in it. Uh, and that's it. And I didn't know anything else about Fright Night at all until sitting down to watch Fright Night Part 2. Uh, Liam, was your first time watching Fright Night for this? It was. Um, and my first experience with Fright Night as a franchise is very similar to you, Corey. I remember when that movie came out as well, the remake in 2011, because that would put me in about the 10th grade or so. Um, loving going to movies with my friends, loving horror movies at the time, following a lot of stuff that's coming out. Um, so Fright Night interested me just because it was like, uh, a, it seemed to me like a one-off horror movie i didn't know what it was based off of and the way it was marketed wasn't like you have to have seen this past thing it it seemed like it was an original horror movie even though i had like read in passing that it was a remake but otherwise i had not heard of the fright night franchise um at least i i definitely didn't know the franchise and i didn't know that there was a original somewhat classic movie at the time because in 10th grade i loved movies and when you know, I saw an ad for a movie. I was into it. If a movie came to my town, if it was like one of the three movies that was in at any given time, I was into it. But I still, I wasn't at the point where I was, uh, whenever I heard about a movie, I would be researching it to learn more about it. So when Fright Night came out and interested me, I still didn't learn a whole lot about the franchise. I just kind of read that it is a remake and that was that so um i went to go see it with some friends keiki a friend of the show being one of them um and i had a good time with it um it was just sort of a like a a standard horror movie like fun night at the movies that that comes and goes i never revisited it um but i remember being in the theater and enjoying the ride while it was happening um And it's always sort of stuck out to me now as a huge horror fan as a moment where like I was the target audience for a horror remake where I was someone who didn't know anything about the franchise, uh, didn't have any stakes in the property at all, but thought the marketing and the title of this one was interesting. And so I went to see it just to see a horror movie in modern day, right? Like it might as well have not been a remake. And I think that's the way a lot of remakes are marketed. And that's why a lot of remakes are made. It's just, we're going to use this past thing, but we're going to, we're going to sort of pass it off in a way that the general public who might not know anything about uh, what we're remaking will accept. And so I was that dude at that point. Um, and I really quite liked the movie. Um, and n- now, 10 whole years later, like almost exactly, because I think that was a summer movie. Um, uh, and we rolled this. I thought it was a great opportunity for me to check out the original because now I've heard about Fright Night a little bit more in that I have a couple podcasters who 
have listed it as like one of their favorites of the 80s and i think like one dude who who says it's actually one of his favorite movies so um i know a bit more about it but even then it's still not a huge movie um in what i've come across like i don't hear that many people talking about the original or the sequel and i don't find many people that have it on their all-time lists or anything like that it's just the few times it's popped up i've taken note of it like oh fright night really i thought that was just like a kind of a forgotten 80s movie which is why they were able to remake it the way they did um so I, I was really interested to to check the original out with this one. So I did a I did a straight up proper double feature, one right after the other, and uh, that's where I'm at now. So you did not need the very brief like previously on segment. No, but I I thought that was really tactfully done. I really liked that. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought it was cool. Um, Mitch, Fright Night. Yeah, no experience. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, nothing. You know, sometimes it's that simple. Had you heard of it at all? Or oh yes, like, yeah, okay. yeah, of course. I, I so a little it. bit of experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I know, I know of it as a <laughs> film. I know it's about vampires. I know it has a cool fucking poster, and it makes everybody's favorite <laughs> horror films of the eighties. It does but, have a cool fucking poster, <laughs> but I have not seen it. Oh okay. man, that poster, dude! Big Molina from Mortal Kombat vibes with <laughs> that mouth. Believe I was not the person who said Mortal Kombat first today. Oh, and uh, when. When that character gets that way in the movie, because it does happen, and I see it in action for the first time, because I had never seen, I had only ever seen the poster. Dude, you see that mouth in action? It is terrifying. It is one of the coolest effects I've like ever seen in a movie. Oh my gosh, it's scary. Just think of this: if if you if anyone out there has not seen Fright Night, um, and you've seen the poster, or you're looking at it now, or you're going to look at it tonight, and you're like, "Man, that's a sick poster." You're gonna look at it tonight. <laughs> then you're writing, you're writing on your hand. When I get home, well, sure, look at Fright Night poster. I do that sometimes. I'm out on a walk, and I make a mental note. Um, <laughs> so if you guys check out the poster, and you're like, "Man, that is a great poster," I'm here to tell you that at least in the mouth regard the movie does not let you down oh my gosh that mouth oh. this movie's sick if you're into mouth stuff it's got a pretty mouth <laughs> got a pretty mouth um so mouth stuff aside fright night part two poster also sick as hell obviously basically the same thing but sick as hell so cast and crew sorry fellas i wrote a lot of shit down I wrote a lot of shit down, so we're going to try to get through this as quickly as humanly possible. Directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, whose first directing credit was Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. Yes. He also, yeah. he also worked on the It TV series for two episodes. He was an actor in the movie The Fog, and he was the art director for Assault on Precinct 13. Dude got around. Pretty cool credits. Also, if he, being the the director of it for two that that just means he directed the entire uh miniseries for does it. it i didn't know how long it was yeah it's just the two uh then yes he directed that in full yeah. yeah uh it is written by him and also two other people tim metcalf and miguel tejada flores who both wrote revenge of the nerds the first one Ugh. uh tim metcalf also wrote a more recent credit for him is the haunting in connecticut and um mm. Uh, Miguel Tejada Flores uh, has an additional story credit on The Lion King uh, and also wrote Beyond Reanimator. 
or has a story by credit for that movie. Um, cinematography is by Mark Irwin, a name that we've heard before, uh, I believe. Um, but either way, a lot of familiar credits. He shot Scream, Robo oh. 2, uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective Jr., um, oh. Freddy Got Fingered, uh, Steel, that movie with Shaq as a superhero. And also, rounding it out, Wes Craven's New Nightmare brought it back uh, to something good. That filmography gave me whiplash. It really did. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, he did not shoot whiplash. That would have been pretty I, It cool. wouldn't have surprised me if he did, though. I mean, he's got peaks and valleys in there. Uh, this movie is edited by the guy who edited the documentary An Inconvenient Truth about climate change. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> Jay Cassidy. Well, Al Gore didn't edit that. <laughs> no, it was him. <laughs> Al Gore invented the internet. Well, that's part he of the, edited his own documentary. That's part of the inconvenient truth is that Al Gore actually edited it, but nobody it's fucked up. Nobody, it. nobody wants he, to hear that. He did it in Movie Maker <laughs> <laughs> over a really long time. Well, he had a lot of time to waste because he got snubbed in Florida. So he was just like, "What am I gonna do? I'm just gonna. What am I gonna do now? I'm gonna, gonna try to solve climate change." Oh man, this PC comes with Movie Maker I- <laughs> idea. That's what he said. <laughs> and his his grandkids were like, "We're all using iMovie now, old man." And he was like, "No, that's that's what the title Inconvenient Truth refers to." He had Movie Maker. He didn't even know what the movie was going to be yet, but he was like, whatever movie I make with this thing, it's going to be called An Inconvenient Truth because no <laughs> one's going to believe that I Movie maker this amazing movie. <laughs> That's all true facts. Well, don't you remember like the cutscene with the blue background and like the whoosh with like the, the Yeah, credits? it's a Movie Maker staple. You know, and I mean, we in. all remember the yeah. fact that that movie was partially narrated by Clippy. Yep. <laughs> of, of course. Yeah. I can't. I still can't believe that Clippy didn't win that Oscar. To be honest, he deserved it. He, he deserved really it. did for all the work that he's done. Even if you don't consider in, yeah. an inconvenient truth by itself, like what he's done for the for the community. So you could talk about the importance of you know being green, which he does. But I think like the green screen effects in Movie Maker really take away. Oh, yeah, yeah, huge in that movie. Do, do you guys think that Tommy Lee Wallace edited the original Halloween with Movie Maker? Yeah, probably. He, he was the inventor of Movie Maker. Yeah, that was the first ever so, Movie Maker usage. Here's the thing that people don't tell you about how Halloween 1 was edited. It's that he took a picture of every frame of film on a 1.2 megapixel digital camera and then stitched them all together in Movie Maker, the ones that they wanted. And then when they were done, they got that camera out again and they recorded a screen that had the audio track playing next to the slideshow. Well, I mean, Roddy McDowell, who's who's in the in the Friday Night film, I, I watched an interview where he, he's in How Green Was My Valley, which which beats Citizen Kane at the Oscars. Right. And he said that that film was edited on Movie Maker and Orson Welles didn't use Movie Maker. So that's why How Green Is My Valley Beats and can at the Oscars. It's Windows. the same thing that happened. Uh, it's why uh, Citizen, or rather, pardon me, it's why Orson Welles, who plays Citizen Kane, was so upset with what happened to the Magnificent Ambersons because the studio wanted to edit it in Movie Maker. Yeah, and well, like Roddy McDowell finally came back and worked with Welles in his 1948 rendition of Macbeth. And I, later in the interview, he said by that time Welles had kind of converted because that was the only way he could work in Hollywood in those days. He was already under surveillance for being a communist. So, I mean, 
they just they just said like shut up keep quiet pick up your paycheck and use windows movie maker it was terrible yeah, be- what they did to people in those days. yeah well you didn't want to get bill listed right because like gates was not gonna get let back into hollywood anytime soon yeah shape up or ship out that's what they said life really is an inconvenient truth isn't it (laughs) that might be our best joke yet fellas (laughs) oh no (laughs) um the music uh which was made in garage band (laughs) <laughs> they got they got competing uh they got competing companies well, going no, on there's here. no windows music maker well everything i said is true everything yeah, i said is, we is were true. joking well i mean because like did any of you guys see mank there's like a yeah. huge there's a huge part in that movie about about all david fincher made a huge stink about needing to use movie maker to remain true to the vision that he had for the film yeah and that's why Brad Fidel made the soundtrack to Fright Night Part 2 in GarageBand. <laughs> uh, he also, uh, obviously everybody knows this, did the scores for a lot of other movies that are f- famous for having scores done in GarageBand, like Terminator 1 and 2, True Lies, Johnny Mnemonic, all computer stuff, ergo, computer score. Makes sense to me. Checks out. I honestly think we're on to something here. I mean, that's just history. Look, it's in a book. But it is an inconvenient truth. No one wants to hear it. If no. there's any investigative journalists listening to this episode, you guys got to explore this. Uh, last but not least, I wanted to say, uh, before we get on to the cast, um, based on characters created by Tom Holland, not to be confused with Spider-Man, um, but he also wrote Child's Play and Thinner <gasps> and Psycho oh. 2 Liam's Quaken and Class with, of 84. With the mentioning of Child's Play, Liam's Quaken. Uh, <laughs> shaking in me boots. My eyebrows, my my eyebrows and my ears both perked up when Sca- I heard that. Scarefare, spooky. Anyway, that's all I got for that. Cast time. It's cast time. Uh, William Ragsdale is Charlie Brewster. Uh, he mostly did a lot of TV uh, later in his career, but he's also in Smooth Talk uh, with Laura Dern. That's pretty cool. That got on the Criterion release a couple months ago, I think. Um, we've already talked about Ronnie McDowell playing uh, Peter Vincent. Not enough, though, but keep going. The The role that I picked out for him was Planet of the Apes. Mitch, how did I do? Uh, I mean, not bad, but he's done so much else. Like the, he has so many credits, like it's the, impossible to narrow he was, it down. He was in Cleopatra, and of course, Cleopatra was like one of the most expensive movies of all time. And it went on for years and years as they shot in Rome and all over the place. So they sent him out much later to shoot, uh, what is it, the, the Longest Day, which was MGM's other epic film that they were making with literally everybody. And then, like, he, yeah, Poseidon Adventure, Macbeth. He was in uh, Manhunt, which is like a film noir by Fritz Lang. He's, he's done it all. He's been all over the place. He's a, he's a great star, great character actor. You see, like, pop up in like every film and i i didn't even really like know very much i knew his name but i see him all the time yeah he's one of those guys where like even if you don't know the name like if you saw a picture of him you'd probably know who he is yeah um somebody who that's not true for is tracy lind who plays alex yeah um who didn't do uh, a ton of work in her but career. i, I want to see her in every movie i watch though um well she's in a movie called class of 99 which i only wrote down because that other dude did a movie called fucking class of 84 and how many horror movies were coming out that were just about graduating yeah is is that not a sequel 
I didn't yeah. think it was. You don't want to see the class of 21. It's just, it's pretty depressing. Pretty grim. Yeah. Uh, they shot it on Movie Maker. <laughs> <laughs> shot over Zoom, edited on Movie Maker. It's unfortunate. Um, Julie Carmen plays Regine. Uh, she's in In the Mouth of Madness. Ooh. Pretty cool. Another John mm. Carpenter credit to More get More mouth here. stuff. I actually Lots haven't seen that stuff. one, but I really want to see that one. I love, I love HP. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it either. We should do a we should do a group date sometime. Watch that one. Yeah, totally. Uh, John Grease is Louis. Who uh, Liam? You want to take this one? <laughs> Uncle Rico. Uncle Rico, baby. Who's Napoleon? The... No, from no, he's uh, in the movie Napoleon Dynamite. Oh fuck! He's yeah. also in More American Graffiti, which is absolutely a movie we should do on this show. Wow! Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Why? <laughs> I never I, heard of that. If it's not on the list yet, it should be on there. Wow! Oh, yeah, I'll add it right now. Um, Russell Clark plays Belle, who again is the roller skating vampire, uh, who is fucking awesome and was uh, a choreographer for a ton of stuff uh, before he passed away. Uh, Red Shoe Diaries, Scary Movie Two, Earth Girls Are Easy, a Dave, some music videos, a David Bowie music video, Xanadu, Man Got Around, really cool. Re- How is this person not in like a million movies? <laughs> they were just really cool. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Brian Thompson is Bosworth. Time to talk about Mortal Kombat again. Uh, he plays Shao Kahn in uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, uh, which is an extremely bad film. <laughs> but uh, oh, at least man. he got a chance to shine here. That's coming from the Mortal Kombat guys, everybody. It's profoundly bad. <laughs> it's truly incredible. <laughs> um, Merritt Buttrick is Richie. Um he was in Star Trek 2 and 3. He also had a role on The Next Generation. Uh, he was in Wired to Kill, Zapped, and I believe, uh, let me actually double check this while we're talking, I believe his last credit was Death Spa, which is a movie we've seen. Oh, yeah. Corey and I like that one. Yeah. That's the last person I had on this list also. so Actually, that's a lie. Um, sorry. Ernie Sabella plays the psychiatrist. He's Pumbaa. Wow, yeah, Lion King connection again, hey? So he's Pumbaa and everything. <laughs> Good gig. Good gig. So that rounds that out. A little bit of tonal whiplash there. Um, that's what I I wanted to get to for that. So now we, all we got is the movie. So uh, if you haven't seen Fright Night 1, I don't know, I think he thinks his neighbor's a vampire or something. Yes. Uh, and he's right. <laughs> yep. And they have to kill him. <laughs> him in yep. this like is pete peter vincent just like an actor who like a vincent price type he is he's um he's a, a horror tv host who both stars in vampire horror movies uh, typically like he does a lot of movies but he's in vampire horror movies and he's been doing it for 30 years and now he's at the point where he's just a horror tv host who is like talking about his own low budget horror movies uh, and he's sort of like washed up and uh and so um william ragsdale's character brewster he seeks out peter vincent to help him because he believes that peter vincent believes in vampires because uh on the program peter vincent is often like yo kids just they don't they don't believe in vampires nowadays vampires are classic and so he goes to him and ropes him into the plan and it's very very charming that's sick. It's a movie I, I, I really want to see. Watch that. Now. I would watch yeah. that. Like, Yo, I oh. didn't like. I didn't like adore this movie, but there was enough that like was like charming that like I had a good enough time with it. 
but I'm I'd be interested in watching that. Yeah, I'll I'll at least rip that first band-aid off right now and say guys, <laughs> if you want to watch Fright Night with me, I would do it any second of any day. Fright Night blew me away. I I loved it. Like loved it so much that I want to get the Blu-ray right now. I would watch it again tonight. Like it it would creep really quickly onto an all-time list for me. It is it is amazing. Um it is it is so good. Yeah, we should watch Fright Night. Yeah, it's like one I just it's it's totally my up my alley with like being set in suburbia, simple setup, boy next door, um thinks that he he sees a vampire. And I've I've seen a lot of movies like that that I love. Like The Burbs is a similar premise, Summer of 84, a more recent movie that's a throwback to those 80s movies. Even something from uh 2007 called Disturbia, which is sort of a riff on rear window is like was like one of my favorite movies growing up i just love that suburban feel trying to solve a mystery in your own little area and um the way that tom holland fills it out is he puts these really interesting characters in it where brewster he's sort of your like typical everyman protagonist uh he's he's got a bit of character to him mostly that he's sort of a dick 17 year old with a mullet (laughs) like yeah (laughs) um but he he has these two friends and they are just like some of the most interesting actors and performances i've ever seen in particular this one character named evil ed who um who uh, really likes horror movies as well. And he's sort of an outcast and he delivers almost every line with a smirk. And eventually um, he, he gets turned into a vampire. I won't say any more than that, but he gets turned into a vampire and the performance that this dude gives is without a doubt, my favorite vampire performance I've ever seen. And that's even up against Chris Sarandon, who is the main vampire in the first Fright Night, who is amazing in that movie. I'm learning I love Chris Sarandon with Princess Diaries, Nightmare Before Christmas. And he's also the cop in Child's Play, um, which I've recently (laughs) reappraised Child's Play as like one of my favorite movies as well. Tom Holland knows what he's doing. But this kid... That's why he's Spider-Man. Yeah. This kid, he, he, he... all of a sudden he channels all this weird energy that he's been carrying throughout the entire movie, like sort of like Crispin Glover, where you watch that dude and you're like, that dude, he's just like kind of weird and interesting. I can't take my eye off him. The evil Ed actor has that going on. And then when he's able to be a vampire and he has this pro- these prosthetics on and he's totally hamming it up, it is like one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen. It's up there with Matthew Lillard and Scream when he goes off the oh. rails and just like that sort of performance. I was just so like, good. I was just like, how have I never seen this before it is incredible and the effects in the movie are so so good practical effects you get to see so much um different sorts of things happen and the one uh, that really stands out involves evil ed and it rivals american werewolf in london as like best transformation deterioration body horror i've ever seen in my life it was so scary and this this movie that's such a simple premise um and like Corey, it's hard for me to take vampires seriously but fright night did it for me more than any other vampire movie i've ever seen and yet it is still a fun comedic charming movie it's not totally serious but it takes the vampire pretty seriously and 
totally like I, i'll watch that movie with you guys right fuck this podcast let's go watch friday night like oh my gosh and then we can get back <laughs> okay, on it. Bye. It is, oh. <laughs> so that's where i'm at with fright night and i was very excited to then put on fright night 2 immediately to see see where they took it because fright night surprised me so much that's sick i think we need not say more um mitch sounded a little bit uh, a second ago so i'm gonna well, wait, grab what, that energy what the, what the fuck do you mean by that was Ooh. that was the, that was literally the sound you made out of your mouth oh um, man Corey, you gotta you gotta put those two examples next to each other in the <laughs> how edit much editing do I have to t- <laughs> you'd be making a good point how bad do you want to destroy mitch that's, I don't that's destroy what you him. i just want to know his take on fright night part two I was probably just like, eh, not. Mitch sounded a little bit uh, a second ago. Some windmilly motherfucking. Anyway, right now, part two. Question mark. I mean, I I like had fun with parts of it, but again, I wasn't like enthralled. I didn't find it like. I found that it focused on a lot of other things that were secondary from the story or from like the central narrative that didn't really interest me. And there were a bunch of sort of like ensemble characters that I just like didn't really dig. Um, I didn't, I didn't like, I don't know. It's just not, it's not the kind of movie that I like, that I really like rave about or like love. Like I, I like the period and I, I like all that, but sometimes I don't always have the patience to just like, to take it in and maybe i was in the wrong headspace when i watched it but there were aspects of this movie that i absolutely adored um the like, peter vincent stuff yeah yeah um i loved all of that and i love that sort of like self-reflexive sort of like bum hack actor and sort of like a you know a, a film peter vincent is not a hack he's a hack but he's <laughs> he's a very lovable hack and uh yeah there's there's a lot of things that I really loved about this movie, but in the Indiana, I just don't think it's the kind of movie that I really like, that I love or that I find to be like a rewarding watch, um, or that I identify with. Or and there's no like nostalgia. I just sort of watched it. Would I recommend it to somebody? Maybe, but I mean, I don't know. If only you owned a cream colored Mustang, maybe you'd have more nostalgia for it. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> can't believe that kid drives a fucking Mustang. <laughs> it was the eighties; like everything costed two cents, and, and he looks like a fucking yuppie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with his cardigans and his come over <laughs> and his and his chic sunglasses. Okay, so we got a bit of a bootleg, <laughs> bootleg Kyle McLaughlin. Wow, honestly, yeah, yeah. Kyle McLaughlin would have been great in this. He would have been because it, it's got like blue velvet vibes, but BVV. That's a great pull. He he also would have been great in the original as that vampire next door. Um, Kyle McLaughlin is awesome. I mean, Chris Sarandon, you know, he, he's also awesome. Like, I think they'd both do it 10 out of 10, but it would be would have been cool to see him in there. Oh, that would have been cool. All right, Liam, you are here to potentially balance the scales on Fright Night 2 opinions. Hmm. So Fright Night Part 2. So does that mean that you are on the same side of the scale as Mitch? Uh, no, because you your opinion does not account for both of us. It's just that you are going second. Oh right, so I'm I might balance it, and then you you're, you're going to have the and then you're going to have the final push as to where I we're guess, at. 
You're just drunk with power. You're like a vampire overlord. I don't think that's true. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> when you get in this podcast and movie maker. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, no, I am on the same side of, of the little scale as Mitch. Almost oh. almost exactly, I think. Um like Mitch, there's there's some stuff here that I really like. I, I would say there's some stuff here that I love. Um, and it is a fun movie. I think it is it is a well put together movie. Um, not not perfect. There's definitely stuff I picked out where I thought, oh, I, I wish they didn't do it like that. Um, but it, it's very, very competent. I could see people loving this, um, especially if you're a kid, just because it, it really has like a lot of fun jumping around from character to character. Um, but for me, it's just not as much what I want in um, I guess in a Fright Night movie, just coming off how much I loved the first one, but maybe maybe in in movies in general like this this does the typical sequel thing where it takes your original concept and adds more of it like plus five you know more characters more antics related to the initial premise of vampires and and that's one of like often what a sequel does a a sequel can either do one of two things it it adds more so it's like extra um and makes it a bit different by it's like you know we we got more of this thing or it does the same thing very similarly again like that would be like home alone 2 to home alone 1 um and i don't know what i would have wanted here because after watching the first movie it's a very self-contained story i was thinking okay uh you can't really do that again. So I'm not expecting a vampire next door sort of thing, but for this to have like a motley crew of vampires that are just sort of wreaking havoc, it's just, it's not, uh, it's not as appealing to me. I found it difficult to keep up with all those vampires and how much I liked them. It's sort of varied from character to character, scene to scene. And so um, me being, into it all the way through it wasn't really possible this time around because i was getting more of what i didn't want here or less of what i wanted here um and so it's it's also like much less of a linear story than the first one the first one is a very simple premise it's like okay kid is at house notices his neighbor's a vampire he has to do something about it this one i i thought that it was a bit less clear what it wanted to do. I don't know if that has to do with three writers in here or or what. I know that's often like the common thought is that multiple writers, it feels like many movies mashed up into one. And uh, that might be what I'm what I'm getting here. It just doesn't feel as clear. I can't think back on Fright Night 2 and think of this is the movie where this is the story. Instead, I think of Fright Night 2 as this is the movie where like this small thing happened at this point this other thing happened at this point and uh it, it just kind of feels like a series of of events and so uh yeah all together it's like it's 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 a movie i'll watch again because there is a lot in it and i think it's a movie that could grow on me but it is m- much less like i don't know if the parts add, add up entirely uh, so uh a bit a bit of a letdown um 
especially considering how much I loved that first one. But uh, but I, I, it, it's still likable is where I'm at. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on, on all those kind of takeaways. It, it is really a fragmented, broken, broken up movie built up of of events. And a lot of ways when I was watching, it, I was like, this is like Chud part two. This is mm. Bud the That's Chud. That's a mean thing to say it's, it's a, I, it's I a mean, it's a mean it. thing to say but it does have the same sort of fragmented episodic 80s nonsense that that uh, i mean it's rude because you guys are both you both fetishize the 80s but but there i said excuse it. you <laughs> sorry you need to you need to tip the scales pardon me i have no scales to tip i've lost oh i suppose you can't you can't um yeah. i think this movie's fucking great <laughs> um not that I disagree necessarily with things that you just said, but I don't know. Just um, something about just sitting down and watching it. I had a great fucking time and I can't fault a movie for that. Uh, I also think I maybe got more out of the like ancillary characters. I think um, the like hen- hench people <laughs> definitely do some heavy lifting here. Uh, to make those bits more enjoyable based on the fact that they're there. Uh, something I want to point out, I was reading a bit about this movie and there is um, uh, a column on Bloody Disgusting from Horror Queers and somebody in that pointed out when they were talking about this movie that one of the things that makes it kind of lose its thrust a little bit or its focus is because Charlie's being hunted and is not the hunter so it's weirdly like reactive and therefore like I, I guess if I wanted to take like a leap from that, like part of the problem is he can only react to things when the movie has them happening. So if the movie is focusing on other shit, then the movie's not progressing <laughs> because it's doing like tangents. Um, I agree with all those complaints. Uh, I just had a really good fucking time watching it though. And I think that to just the simple enjoyment factor kind of carries me through a lot of that and i mean yeah i'll I'll own it like aesthetically i don't know it's definitely hitting an enjoyable sweet spot um everybody is dressed either like a new wave video or like weird 50s revival shit and um they go bowling we love that on this podcast go listen to our episode about the next karate kid uh where some people go bowling (laughs) yeah we've we've bowled before we like to bowl yeah watch the movie gutter balls don't watch the movie gutter balls do anything else with your time please but uh, I didn't like this movie I put on. I was in the throes of a of a bit of a post second vax sway, and uh, I just had a good fucking time. Uh, I think tonally it's fun. It's it's weird. It's got like the Peter Vincent like throwback hack kind of fun, and it's got weird eighties nonsense fun, and it's got horror movie chase fun um i don't know i just liked it a lot i liked watching it a lot um it looks really cool it has a great use of color it's got like fun colored lights everywhere like when they're sneaking in at the end and the place is just fully lit green spooky green that's a good time i don't know good time just a good time that's great i mean i love to hear that especially when uh we just came off a movie like Bud the Chud, where, um, like, I, I am with Mitch. I think the t- movies are pretty comparable, um, but it's just like your mileage of each may 
I mean, certainly will vary. Either that's just like, it could be a mood thing. It could be like a a color palette thing. It could be the antics they chose in one movie or the other. Um, So I think it's it's really cool to hear that, you know, sometimes we watch movies like this and I might be high high on them and Corey isn't, uh, or we're both high on them, we're both down on them. And so it's always nice to hear that someone sees a movie and they're just like, yeah, that's what I needed. I think the difference here is that like Bud the Chud is not a well-made movie. I agree. I agree. And this, this is this is like, this this is a competent film. Yeah. Yeah, it well, may not be Bud the Chud has has like some good stuff going for it, but yeah. Yeah, but this movie may not be focused, but it, it's at least like it's honed. Like the craft of it is like it feels thoughtfully put together. Yeah. It looks good. Like the actors are good. The set pieces work as well, I think. Yeah. Um like one I think the actors are good, but I wasn't like I didn't enjoy the central performance of the villain of like she's, the she's not given enough to do uh, as yeah. she's not given you. enough she's to great. do. I think she's kind I think she's kind of weak. I didn't I didn't really think that that there's really a lot going for her except for the kind of like they try and do like this sort of like wow, like visual like wow, what like a like a sultry and like ominous figure. It doesn't really do it for me. The one set piece that I did really enjoy is when they're kind of playing that sort of aspect of her character up like to 11% when she's on the Fright Night show. Not 11%. Then, that can't be what you meant. That's not very high at sorry, all. Like, sorry. I meant 11 out of 10. Um, <laughs> and, they pranked uh, it up to like 5 or 6. And and Peter Vincent is just like drinking beer at the bar. And he's, <laughs> he's pissed. I have as- to kill the vampire. Yeah, I really love that. I think that that is a good example of a set piece that works really well because it's sort of like there's a lot of this movie is dependent depends upon like repetition in its structure and it goes back and sort of revisits parts and then you sort of see her take on the Fright Night and Peter Vincent is just like disgusted like I have to hunt the vampire. I don't know. It works, yeah, it, I thought that, that, that was sick. Yeah, I, I loved that as well. And I'm. Um, I'm with you, Mitch, that I, I think I just wasn't sold on her performance. Like when she has to um, reveal that Jerry from the first movie who Brewster killed, that's her brother, um, which I think is a cool turn. It just it felt very wooden to me. Um, and that's that's kind of how she was for most of the movie, just like really flat. She didn't have that uh really like any charm to me it just didn't have much depth is how it came across and so that sort of took the wind out of my sails because if you're doing this ensemble piece um that's cool i mean like dr sleep does the same ensemble villain but then your central villain uh rose the hat in dr sleep is like really alluring and she just has this gravitas to her and i didn't feel that from um uh, regine in this movie it felt to me like she could mostly be interchangeable with any one of the villains though they were trying to give her that extra weight like the writing is there in terms of the performance i was like man i think uncle rico is doing is doing a bit well, more heavy lifting in this the problem is they gave uncle rico a lot more fucking screen time like and don't get me wrong they knew what they had that dude's funny but like yeah i i i i think that she's quite good and i also think like what an introduction when they're fucking making out in the car and she's just lying on top of it that was great i love that yeah Yeah. and you get that like that give you that yeah and you get that like 
overhead shot, flying yeah. shot, and it's it goes so over good. the car, and then it quickly drops down, but you don't know what point of view that was. The whole, like, vampire seduction and then that whole aspect of her character, I think, drones on so much where it's like, yeah, 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 we get it. Like, he's under her spell, like, whatever. I feel like, like there's a lot of stuff in there where they don't do anything particularly interesting or different or from, like, any other sort of vampire movie, and it's just... It feels stagnant. Did you miss the part with the roller skating vampire? I mean, sure. There's that. I'm talking about the seduction part, CP. Not the. Not they're all like, they're all fairly seductive. I'm, ta- um, I'm talking about like that the, man was, the, the no, kind of no. like love angle with I the understand. Main I understand. Yeah, roller skating vampires are like they're fine, but I, I mean, it, it's, they're fine. It has nothing to do with my point. Okay, well, fair enough on the seduction part. You guys just. Okay, that's fine. No, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm not taking it personally. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, I something I was getting to beyond that uh, is just that I I really like all the villains, um, because they're just so fucking enigmatic and weird, um, and just striking. Like fucking Uncle Rico's got like weird facial hair and long hair, and he he doesn't want to bite alex because he's too busy like having a good time which i think is funny and kind of strange that was, that was good i love that and you've got fucking just big man who's a big man made of bugs apparently which is weird oh dude and the cut yeah i might be jumping the gun here but what an effect oh yeah. my gosh when that man gets sliced open by his friend's hand and yes. then he just sinks as like a gross bug bag uh, oh, tight I, was, shit. I was eating spaghetti when that happened and i had to, I had to throw it out <laughs> Did you throw out your spaghetti? I, I had about like I don't know, like a quarter, of, like a quarter of it left, and I looked at it and I was like, "Yeah." Oh, <laughs> uh, I've yeah, I've never seen anything like that before. And it was he's really well done. like the like the maggots or whatever they are coming out of his open wound is one thing, but then to go the extra mile and like have him look like he's deflating, like that is his being just seeping out of him. That is. Yeah, that is totally yeah. above and beyond. And that's that's like exactly what you mean, Corey, when you say this movie is competent. Like it's that's the sort of stuff that it's like, oh man, we're in really good hands here. Like there's yeah. great people at work. Or like yeah. the, the exoskeleton, like I don't know what you want to call it, but it's like when the, the skeleton of the or the skin becomes like gelatinous around that body and everything like rushes rushes. It's gross, but it's yeah, again, it's well done. Um Hell yeah. And yeah, really cool effect sequences in yeah. this movie. And uh like I don't know. There's there's so many parts that I like, like the part where the guy gets like his fingernails like taken off in the window and he and he yeah. falls. He falls Love down. That. Yeah, like the wolf. He, the, this wolf has like long fingernails, and so he's creeping up to a window, and the window gets shut like unknowingly, not knowing that he's out there, and it cuts off his nails, and he falls down. Um, that's You're just supposed uh, to bite I, her on the neck. Uh, I just um, that's so clever. I love that. Can I talk about the roller skating vampire, please? Yeah, yep. sorry, sorry. I, I, totally, God, I, I totally shut you down there. It wasn't, wasn't fair. I fucking love the roller skating vampire so much. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why. <laughs> not just because it's roller skating and that's hilarious. Um, and it's not just because of the very, very overt Nightmare on Elm Street homage in the school. <laughs> Those are not the only reasons. Um, there is something so striking about the way Russell Clark looks. <laughs> in that fucking outrageous like new wave ass look with like the black and gray hair blown out all the makeup done got a very like kind of 
androgynous kind of gender queer thing going on the character's name is bell which i think isn't an interesting angle of that but it's like this just extremely fucking enigmatic sick as hell looking dude who doesn't really say anything it just kind of fucking skates around sign me the fuck up for that if anything i just wish there was more of that i think the biggest problem with this movie and having a cast so expansive relative to the scope of the story is that it feels like somehow nobody gets enough actual screen time like if you're just gonna focus on charlie just do that but there's not even there's not an overwhelming amount of charlie in this movie despite him being the protagonist um there is a comparatively small amount of peter and alex there's a very small amount of regine there's a very small amount of bell and then there's a little bit more of like Louis and Bosworth. There's like a microscopic amount of his roommate. Like it is tough because part of the reason I think it feels episodic and kind of like poorly structured is because it feels like in an attempt to get everyone on screen, it manages to get no one on screen for enough to really like focus on something. Uh, and then there's that period later where Charlie is like sidelined from the active part of the story and Alex is like trying to get Peter out of the hospital and whatever. And it's just like, okay. And then uh, the bowling sequence, I can forgive because it's good. Um, and I just think it's such a weird thing to include. My that. doctor told me to go bowling. I'm so all for it though. And that man sucks at bowling. And then his friends are good at bowling and they're like sliding into the pins and just doing some shit. Everybody wants to do in uh, a bowling alley, except, except for killing the staff. I don't think most people want to do that, but otherwise I think, I think people probably want to fuck around in a bowling alley. And I think I just, I find a lot of that really endearing and really fun. And I think those characters are um, aesthetically really interesting and camp and fun. And uh, the movie may not make the right choices, but it makes choices I like. Um, I think that's true of most of it. It is kind of difficult to talk about because the protagonists are kind of like at the whim of what the villains are doing. And we don't necessarily see enough of what the villains are doing all the time. So it's not necessarily structured fantastically, but uh, that stuff for me really hits. And I think it is epitomized in uh, bell, the androgynous roller skating vampire. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Corey. Um, it sounds like, our problem, um, uh, the problem that you pointed out, it might not be so much of a problem for you since you found so much of it uh, um, endearing and that you you love it because of that. And for me, like I think it sounds like I found all those same parts lovable and endearing. Like there's so much I love about this movie, um, but because it those parts don't like add up to a total sum they're doing there's so much going on in this movie um it just didn't my 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 big takeaway from the movie as a whole is just oh i wish that stuck together a bit better but that's also the sort of thing that could go away upon rewatches like i know i have movies like that where the first time around, like I'm getting my footing. Um, I can't quite figure it out. The same thing happens when I'm starting a TV show for the first time. I'm just learning who everyone is, f learning the tone of the show. And then I go back, I watch the movie again after I'm familiar with it, or I go back and I watch those first few episodes of a show again, and it feels like a different show. Um, and I like understand it more, and it becomes uh, more... 
uh, more like lovable as a whole. And so this is the sort of movie that I think is totally worth rewatches. Uh, it's it's definitely worth one watch because you could end up where Corey is right after the the first watch. And even if you're not there, I think there's stuff that you're going to see in this movie that you're going to think, oh man, it, this was worth watching just for that. But because the, the in-between stuff didn't quite get me, it, I wasn't captivated during every every scene every line the same way i am in movies that i really really love in this one it's sort of like i was watching it and then once i understood this is what they're doing that they're jumping from here to here it's just like i'm waiting for the next thing that i like but while i'm waiting for it i'm not invested in the story because there isn't so much of a story fright night written by one dude tom holland that's it feels like a singular story like this dude had a tale he wanted to tell and then he worked all those eccentricities into it all those things that are so endearing about the movie that really makes it stand out whereas this i can very easily imagine these three dudes having a brainstorming session and okay we're gonna take this cool character that this guy invented and put it in the movie and then we're gonna take this effect or set piece that this guy thought of and put it in the movie but then when you put all those bits together um sometimes it can feel quite jarring like the bowling scene which is really cool like vampires bowling um, it comes right after uh, Louis is just about to kill a shop owner. He's right about to do it. And then it cuts to the bowling. And I was thinking like, whoa, what about what about that scene with the shop owner? And like, what what happens there? Um, and then it, it something like that happens again, where uh, um, the psychiatrist is talking, uh, trying. Um, and I think it's uh, Brewster is trying to convince the psychologist or... Do they call him Brewster a lot in the first movie? Because you're the only person using the last name. I just find that really interesting. Oh, yeah, they do. Evil okay. Ed has has a great line. You're so cool, Brewster. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's Brewster talking to the psychiatrist. Or would it make more sense if it's Alex? I don't remember exactly. I don't remember. Either way. Oh, I'm an idiot. Okay. This is at the psych ward, is what my notes are telling me. We're at the psych ward trying to convince uh, someone there. And um, and the person at the psych ward, like the official, is like, I believe you. Um, it's cool. I believe you. And then we immediately cut to the psychiatrist and Alex on the road in the car. Um, and to me, that scene like felt like it was building up towards something, but then we jumped to another scene really quick. And like I know this is like a slapdash example, but the point is that there was a number of times in this movie where I wanted to see a scene last longer. Like I felt like we hadn't quite reached the the climax of that scene, but we have so many characters we're juggling that now we have to check up on them. And uh, and that's my biggest problem yeah. with the movie is just I, how much there is going on. I agree. On. And, and structure-wise, it does feel like it's on a bit of a deadline. Like, and it kind of like, in, in the case of Chud, like, but chud two, bud the chud. <laughs> chud Excuse bud, me. Chud bud two. <laughs> I had to. I had to get through that one. But in, in the in case the, of Budweiser, in, Chudweiser. In the case of last week's film, I, I made a comment where <laughs> where it was like, you know, like woo wee, like we're getting to like <laughs> like like third act climax behavior, like put on the defensive material, and we're gonna go and destroy all the vampires or destroy all the chuds. Um, destroy all chuds chud pyres um but yeah 
destroy them all. Like there's there's always that kind of like last act arc that you find in a lot of these kind of like I don't know eighties fun kid extravaganza movies. And uh, I just like I don't I don't always like that. I would like to see something like different. I would like to see somebody handle like a third act kind of differently. But it is it's what you get with an action adventure. I don't know. If, is this an action adventure movie? Is it? No. I I, so. I think I, it's I would, like I would categorize it as like a horror action adventure, a horror comedy. Yeah. If somebody asks me what an action adventure movie is, I'm like Indiana Jones. Yeah, but I of course, but I, I get what Mitch is saying. I'd say I'd call this a horror action adventure movie as well. I, I get it's you. It's not scary. Like it doesn't. Sc- it's got like it's got like the creepiness, but I, it's not not a scary movie. Maybe. It's like a it's like a dark themed action yeah. adventure because it's it's not meant to scare you and it's uh um which which I also had a bit of a tough time getting my head around here like there's there's a point where um the therapist gets stabbed um and then the therapist kills himself by stabbing yeah. the the thing like through his body the train track would yeah yeah and that like it it didn't feel serious in the way it was like it, the the language of it all it it didn't feel like it was supposed to be taken seriously um which is fine but it, it that was like the moment i realized that oh this we're not we're not this is more of like a like a, an adventure movie like mitch said it's um, not the, but the third stuff. act well, but the third act that is what it is like it, it well, has well, other ambitions on. later but yeah. What do we mean by take it seriously, though? What what in any of the rest of the movie told you it was supposed to be taken seriously? No, nothing in the rest of the movie. It, it would be coming off the first movie to me, which does uh, take the those that stuff seriously. And that doesn't this time because of what aspect of it? Just the fact that it I don't. I guess I don't fully I just don't fully understand the distinction that we're making. Like how is it that this one doesn't come across serious whereas the first one does? Well, I'm not saying it's a serious movie. I just I like why is it that scene that's like at the end cuz I, I guess what I mean is the the whole of the movie is doing that the whole time. Right, but I think that is that's the best example of it where it's like this is something that otherwise would be very dramatic like someone getting stabbed and then killing themselves um so it's it's just like the best example in the movie of a thing that would otherwise be serious but here isn't cool okay uh i think the movie looks really good i think it's got some cool shit in it I got uh, really good art art direction too, and yeah, some, in some of the scenes, it's got really great sets. Yeah, uh, I love Peter Vincent's apartment. I love oh, total like total like you know death trap Vincent Price sort of that, yeah that, that whole thing going on. I love uh, the Fright Night set. I love that this movie has color in it and uh, isn't afraid to use it pretty dramatically. I think all the costumes are really fun. I like the campus is look the campus looks great. Campus is pretty cool. Even so, though the set piece in the library is kind of rubbish, where the, he's chasing them through the yeah, shelves, yeah, that I could take or leave. It's yeah. just kind of weirdly like it's um, it's not cut together very well. No, it's, uh, so it's just kind of a mess. I was laughing at it, and I don't know if I should have been. The thing is, the thing is, is that some of the, some of the gags, like it is so much older. Like I, I wonder what an audience in the '80s would have reacted to 
a lot of the stuff that's in this movie like a lot of the stuff that i think they're playing for laughs maybe didn't i I can't i can just only imagine what it would have been like you know taking it in then and and seeing how they would have reacted at the time but people were probably just making out yeah probably that's probably what was in the audience a lot probably a lot of that (laughs) let's be honest this is like a this is a date movie from from this is a you're in high school and need a place where your parents aren't gonna kick the door open yeah and be like is anybody making out in here (laughs) and you can say no it's the campires and then the campires here at least it's not the umpire you're out (laughs) (laughs) every time i say campire i think of a group of vampires that operate like the harlem globetrotters (laughs) But for killing. And I think that's just great. I like um, to see them operate as umpires. The vampires. <laughs> the vampires. <laughs> I think that that scene in Twilight would have been better if there were vampires. There needed to be a vamp. I forgot about that scene. How could you forget? Yeah. Oh, it's iconic vampire It's all, it's all I've been thinking about. <laughs> Truly. Well, that is that is the next progression of what we're dealing with here. Not even a joke, because recently Tessa Violet put out a music video <laughs> that is styled after that scene. Like, what? Yeah, that's why I was thinking about the baseball scene a lot from Twilight. <laughs> huh. Tessa Violet put a music video out <laughs> that she's like dressed in baseball shit, like a vampire. Like that's what this wow. Is. That's that's <laughs> wild. That Twilight is that old now. That like it's referenced as like, hey, remember this from. This many years ago, well, was, iconic like, scene. What, 2008? <laughs> like, yeah. That yeah. was a while ago. Yeah, totally. Like, it's, man. That's, like, as far away as, like, 1989 was from, like, 2002. Yeah. Damn. Quick you know I mean? Damn. Quick well, math. the facilities for that, big man. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's weird. Uh, oh. Actually, one other thing. I think it's really cool that he finds out that the vampire is using a mirror on the dance floor. I oh, love that bit. That was fucking awesome. I fucking love that's like that's like this kind of like 30s pastiche, like mystery sort of like hammer horror, like oh my god, they don't cast a reflection. Like that's, that like, that's so the kind good. of camp that I just like devour. Like yeah. what a, you wanted more of that. I wanted more more. Well, I mean, you do get a very healthy dose of it, but yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I i adored that and then how he like frantically runs out of there yeah yeah I, so and just like the tonal form. clash of that's really good like oh absolutely yeah uh, beautiful yeah that's um, that's a great moment that's and that's a peter vincent classic too yeah. that's how he finds out that uh there's a vampire in the first movie as well and then there's also a, a dance floor sequence in that first movie where the reflection plays a part so like if it ain't broke don't fix well, it that's I, everybody like, finds I like that out in, the, in like the original drag books but like it's 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 just like it's also like a wonderful case of the 80s doing the doing the 50s a lot of this movie stylistically is is sort of built around that in the way a lot of the characters our protagonist fashion yeah Yeah, exactly well the general fashion tropes in general in the 80s but i think uh i think this is a really good example of that sort of pastiche at work in in the 80s as well and then in cinema and in that particular character and the role that he plays within the movie I agree. I like it a lot. Let me give you another example of something that it would otherwise be serious is not played seriously and it worked for me. So this just like further exemplifies like how this movie is kind of confusing to me and I'm going to watch it again because I loved this part and you could say it's the same as the therapist thing. It's when uh, Louis uh, falls to his death like onto the fountain 
and that's, that's uh, pretty good. And then he says bullseye, and then dude. he dies. He says bullseye, dude. Yeah, bullseye, <laughs> dude. Yeah, like that. I loved that. So uh, it's it's uh, that's you because know. you're endeared to Uncle Rico in a way that you're not to Pumbaa. I guess so. Yeah, it's a. I'm a flawed human. I'm 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 complicated. I contradict myself. Um, it's weird. I I really enjoyed my time watching this movie. I don't know if I have a ton else to say. Me neither. I'm kind of picking at straws. All right, shall we? Yeah, then? I mean, as a, as a whole, I've said it all, but I'll just rattle off more things that I liked about this movie. Because uh, you can, because you can, because there's there's like so much like little you know bits and pieces of totally, yeah. And there's no point in yeah. picking out the things I don't like because my problem with it is like a movie as a whole, really. And I've got to all those bits, but the bits that I liked, like okay, uh, the dude with the drink tray when he gets melted and then his throat gushes out all this liquid from like his the split in his throat and there's just like a torrent of and the god the knows what yeah coming out oh that was amazing uh, another great bit is when brewster he gets mad at alex for never having seen or like read any vampire stories which oh, is yeah. amazing i mean that that pulls from the first movie and that like brewster and evil ed are just like they both love horror movies and i relate to them in that way and then brewster is just like just such a dick judging her and he's like it's a great book alex a great book that is i loved that that was amazing reads in a way i've never seen anyone read anything in my life which is very quickly moves her hand down the page and then just moves to the next page is that like some fucking secret speed reading technique i've just never heard of photocopying she's just what she's doing with her (laughs) hand xeroxing it into her brain into her palm yeah and then yeah right into the brain yeah, someone will have to tell us. I don't know if that's like a hidden joke or if that is like a, this woman is smart. She's doing the smart reading. Uh, it's another bizarre. great bit is uh, when Brewster is looking for bite marks on the drunk henchman, like in the club. And um, he's like kind of his he's, roommate. To be oh, fair. yeah. Sorry. Sorry. His roommate. And the roommate is like kind of out of it. And uh, and he's just like saying these like super funny lines that are kind of slurred. And he's like, uh, it's the wrong thing to do, Brewster. I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he doesn't want an intervention. Like, <laughs> save that's your, the sort of save stuff. your sermon. <laughs> Yeah, like little things like that, like are what make my favorite movies my favorite movies. Like when a movie has a killer story, and then there's also stuff like that in it. All right, let's let's film Genero. It we got we got one more movie before our season finale movie. So this is the penultimate movie of season two. How many things we have on the film Genero now? We have three hundred and twenty three movies. All right, are we doing what we did last week? No. I guess it depends what the first result is. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if I, how much of a sore loser well, I am. Yeah, but Mitch, to be clear, <laughs> we, we, can't, we can't give you a veto every week or we'll simply run out of films too fast. Well, that's not true. I'm just kidding. <laughs> who's, who's Vito? <laughs> He's that dude from... Uh, uh, fuck, which one is it? Ghostbusters 2? Is he the painting guy? He's the guy from Mafia 2. That's the central is he the is he is he uh i don't care okay i'm gonna i'm getting the fucking heat delirium (laughs) (laughs) this is rough we went too long spin the wheel it's an early one gamers start your engines race fans because we're watching 59 well Corey, this is your fault because you didn't say no whammies (laughs) and uh 
Oh, no. I mean, it depends who you ask, but some might argue this is a big whammy. Uh, and All some right. might, some might argue we have to give Mitch a choice here. Get it over with! Get Vito <laughs> in here! We might have to give Corey the choice here, because this is Horrible Bosses 2. No, fuck that. We need Nobody Vito! Watch that. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> we need Vito in here! <laughs> Where's Vito? <laughs> so how are we handling this? Are we just doing... Is this a free spin, or... Is this a free spin, or are we instantly going to pick from three? What are the rules? This still needs rules. I think we pick from three, because I don't like the idea of just saying no to a movie okay. right right away. Well, the next number is 33. Okay, so we got Horrible Bosses 2 on the plate. 33, we've got... You want me to tell you now? Yes. Hollow Man 2. Okay. I'm a Hollow and- Man. And I too feel like a hollow man. And two forty. Uh, so I added this to the list at a very different point in my life than those first few. Um, <laughs> but it's actually pretty uh, apropos. It is. It's a bit of a stretch with our format, but it is the film Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It has to be that, right? We're on a we're on like a wave like uh, on a that's what I'm trying, on a roll here. So, show of hands, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yay or nay, yay. Oh, yay. Yay. Okay, that does it, gamers. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, with, uh, who's in that? Is Luke Perry in that? Why is my brain thinking yeah. Luke Perry is in that? Yeah, he is, and, nice. and, and one of the women from Night of the Comet is in it. It's like 92. Okay. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, 92 is right. It's, um... It's uh, Christy Swanson. Hmm. Also, Sarah Michelle Gellar is in it, apparently. That's not who I thought it was. Interesting. It's on Disney Plus. It's under 90 minutes. Oh, perfect. Um, so Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, up next week. I'm kind of stoked for that, actually. I spent all my Buffy talk. I'll have to do some more Buffy talk. That's fine. We'll find a way. Uh, in the meantime, I don't know why I said in the meantime, go listen to more of our episodes, I guess, is a good way to end that sentence. Um, I guess the podcast is over. I don't know why I was trying to think of like another bit to do. <laughs> I guess you can just end. Your mind is always bit based. Oh, it's true. Eight you bit. operate 16, 16 bit. 16 bit, I'd say for you. God forbid. At the very least. 32 per bit. Um, Corey, do what Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, hey Mitch, do you want to plug some stuff, or are you just gonna get up and fucking leave? Sounded <laughs> like he was walking down the stairs on his hands and his feet. Oh man! Like you know what I mean? Yeah, he took some inspiration from this the werewolves in this movie. Yeah. What about you, Liam? Yeah, you guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. You can listen to another podcast I do called MK PodQuest with our friend Neil about Mortal Kombat stuff. Right now we're watching uh, Mortal Kombat Defenders of the Realm, which notably also has Luke Perry and has Clancy Brown on it. Friends of the show. Uh, That's MK PodQuest everywhere on the internet. 
And with our stuff out of the way, thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter, They Made Another, Letterboxd, TMAO. Uh, you can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and what you would name a horror movie of the week, Fright Night, Elvira kind of show. Um, our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson. You can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all that out of the way, we'll catch you here next week for even more vampire stuff. And they made another one. <laughs>